Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. top of the morning to you. Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. We have a great guest lined up for you today with a great message. His name is Terrell Davis. And if any of you are football fans, especially Denver Bronco fans, you know he's the all-time leading rusher, two-time Super Bowl champion, and recent inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Terrell hails from right here in San Diego, California, and his journey to success is really an inspirational story. He's a true testament to grit and determination. He's not the guy that everything kind of went right, first-round draft choice, and just kind of sauntered on into the Hall of Fame. He kind of had the opposite experience. TD, what a pleasure to have you on here today. Well, thanks for coming on the program. Brian, it's good to see you. Good to hear from you, man. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me, man, because uh, we're going to have some fun today. And I'm always, uh, I always love talking about my my path and, and kind of things in, in my past that kind of made me the man I am today. So looking forward to that. You bet. And I think we're going to help a lot of folks out today. We're going to talk about a bunch of defining moments and defining moments that many of us have these. We have these opportunities, these crossroads that come in life. And um, not everybody makes the right decision all the time, but you have a series of defining moments that kind of lay out your story and then how you responded and acted in those defining moments ultimately defined you and, and led you all the way to the Hall of Fame and where you're at today. So let's start at the beginning, as they say. What was life uh, like growing up in the Davis family in uh, San Diego? Uh, wow. <laughs> well, first of all, let me set the sort of the backdrop. Of, I'm one of six boys, so I was the youngest of six boys. So growing up, growing up in a household where you, you were the youngest, met you were the slowest, meant you were the smallest, meant that you had to wait for everybody else to eat or, you know, pillage through things and clothes. You got hand-me-down socks, your shoes are worn out, your clothes was beat up. So that was my life, man. I was just the kind of, you know, the youngest child just looking at my brothers and hoping one day that I'll get as big as them and maybe I can I can beat them up or something, you know, or beat them in basketball or football, you know, whatever it is. That was kind of my life growing up. I'm one of six, and so I know, you know we have five boys and a girl. I remember my mother got us all these red sweaters, and I remember I was a fourth child, and I'm like, dear God, I'm going to be wearing these red sweaters for the next 15 years because as I grew into the next size, the next red sweater was waiting for me. You know? <laughs> Similar type deal. My kids always say, Dad, why do you eat so fast? I say, well, when I was growing up, if you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat at all. Exactly. That's why I try to tell people because I'm the same way. My wife always complains about the way I eat. Like I just, I just hoard the food. I get on it. I just like, I don't even chew it. I said, think about it. I grew up with six boys. So we didn't, we didn't have seconds. Like seconds, you had to fight for that. So if you didn't finish your first, you couldn't get second. And there was no chance that second was going to be there for the person who came like second or third. So it was always a competition. And my brothers, they all eat fast. And I think we all have that in our family. So. Well, yeah, big, uh, rough and tumble, uh, athletic family. You were uh, fighting, biting, scratching, clawing from the day you were born, right, to try to make it go. You had a, one of your first major defining moments at the age of 14, right? You're in that critical stage as a young boy, and your father passes away. How did that define you? Yeah, Brian, it was, it was a tough deal because, you know, at 14 years old, I didn't expect my mom or dad to... To, to die. I mean, I, I just didn't. I, I just didn't have that in my mind. I, I never thought that was even an option. And when my dad passed away, it put a lot of stress on my mom. And I think more importantly, it made all of my brothers kind of like, hey, you know, my dad is not there. So now they didn't have to worry about, you know, him being a disciplinarian, being that guy that they had, they had to answer to. My mom was working two jobs, so she really couldn't you know, be there to kind of make sure we stayed in line. And we kind of lost it for a minute. And I know for me personally, I lost it, meaning I lost my way. Like I, I felt like life had no purpose. I was like, what am I doing here? You know, my, 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 my dad's not here. And, uh, you know, I started to stray a little bit, you know, wasn't going to school, flunking out of my classes, uh, stopped playing sports. So I was just drifting. 
you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And that all that led up to a night where I go to I go to a party across town and we get back and it's about three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I mean, again, 14, 15 years old, I'm coming back from a party that you know, three in the morning. That's that's a, that's a problem in itself. So as I get back, uh, as we're coming back home, we stop at this neighborhood. And for some reason, I was with my buddy and then his girlfriend. And she wanted to stop at this neighborhood to see a friend as we were coming back. And so we pull over, we stop and um, we pull into this neighborhood. It's pretty dark. You don't see anybody kind of see a silhouette of people outside um, by a car that's in a driveway. And then uh, one of the, a guy comes over to, over to the car and he t- he's talking to her uh, through the, the driver's side window. And all of a sudden, I guess the guy she was talking to recognizes my friend who was in the passenger side of the car. And then they get into an argument and apparently they knew each other from, you know, something that happened prior to this incident. And they get out the, the car and it's like this big old melee, like this people running everywhere and it's a fight breaks out. And I get out of the car just to observe. So I get out of the back seat. I'm in the back passenger seat. I get out and I'm walking out around the back of the car to just watch and see what's going on because I'm confused as to what's happening. And before I know it, I'm someone's walking towards me and I can barely make him out because it's pretty dark. And then I realize what's happening. There's a guy walking towards me and he's got the gun pointed at me. He's walking toward me as this gun is pointed at my, at my, my head. And as I recognize what it is, I see, and there's two big barrels, it's a double barrel shotgun. And I throw my hands up and I'm just telling the guy, Hey man, just like what's going on? Like, Hey, like no problems here. Like, you know, I'm just basically trying to talk my way out of the situation. And he walks up and he puts the, the gun to my forehead and I'm, and I'm up against the car now. Cause I was backing up and I, the car was behind me. I just thought quick, you know, I told, I was, I told the guy who I was and I told him about my brother. I have a brother named Bobby, but we call him sinister Bobo. That was his, that was his, like he hung out in that neighborhood. So he knew all, all the guys there and they had played football together. So I figured I'd give it a shot. Let the guy know who I am. And fortunately the, the guy with the gun, didn't re- didn't um he didn't respond but someone else said oh wait 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 he said oh that's bobby's that's bobby's brother and so then the guy you know he pulled the gun off my forehead and the go the guy told him that i was cool so he pulled the gun off my forehead and then he walked away and then i so at that time my heart is pounding you know of course i'm sweating um i just i saw my life just kind of flash right there before my eyes man and that night for me man it, it really put things in perspective brian it's like you know, I, I I thought about my, about my life. I thought about what I was doing to my mom. You know, I wasn't being responsible. I wasn't going to school, and everything that that I had done led me to a moment where I'm sitting here, really in a place I shouldn't have been. I should have been home in bed, and this would have never happened. When that sort of replayed in my head as I was sleep, as I tried to sleep that night, it replayed in my head over and over that I was this close to being shot. All that the guy had to do was press on that thing, and, and I'm dead. And so from that day, I, I had to I had to really look at it and say, I have to make better choices in life. I cannot put myself in this situation. I got to get back on, into doing the things that I have to do. My dad, who's not here, would not be happy. He would be disappointed in what I'm doing right now. This is not honoring your dad. That's amazing. I mean, at that young age, you know, to have that, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, all of a sudden, your dad, who's this larger than life character, this big influence, he's gone. All of a sudden, the inmates are running the asylum, right? The rules are gone. The accountability's gone. It's just a free-for-all. And here you are as a young kid, and now you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, using your wits, and thank God, a divine intervention there. This guy decides not to end your life. And you're there that night, and it's kind of a scared straight moment, right? It's kind of like, hey, enough of this. And it also brings you back to the principles you had learned, which is, Hey, I want to make my dad proud. I was trying to make my dad proud when he was alive, and now he's gone, and this wouldn't make him proud. And so it was a defining moment, and even at a young age, and this is very important, I think, because so many times I think we mollycoddle our kids. Our kids are capable of making big decisions in their life. They're capable of owning their own journey if we'll give them a chance to do it. And you made a decision, and it led to you changing schools and finding a coach that was a big influence in your life. Isn't that right? Yeah. So, so the other part to it is again, if, if this is divine intervention, whether this is just a coincidence where it's whatever it is, literally like two days later, 
I got reconnected with my old Pop Warner coach. His name is Frank White that I had not seen Frank for probably a three year span. He had moved up to L.A. He was, you know, he had moved around family and stuff. And so we got disconnected. And so we were we weren't, um, you know, for whatever reason, life got in the way. And I run into him and he's asking me, you know, he's like, hey, you know, great to see you. What are you doing? And I told him what happened with my dad. Uh, I mean, he knew what happened to my dad, but I told him kind of what I was doing after that. And, uh, you know, kind of the stuff that I was doing. He asked me, was I playing football? I said, no. And he's like, dude, you've got to get back. You got to you got to play football like boss. What are you doing? He calls me boss. That's my nickname, Boss Hawk. So he calls me boss he's like boss. What are you doing? You need to play football. And so it really just kind of it was confirmation. It was confirmation as to I'd had that incident. And so Frank was, you know, th- these moments kind of it was my dad speaking through uh, these events to me. And that's what I felt. And that's why I, I ended up changing schools. I tried to go back to I was at Morris High School. So all these coaches are all these black male role models in my life. And I was like, wow, like my dad passed, but but I got all these guys now. And that was the difference in me pushing through Lincoln. I graduated on time, went to summer school, got my grades back up, ran track, got back into football. Didn't play running back, though. I played nose guard and I played all kind of weird positions <laughs> in football. Man. But, but, you know, playing those positions, Brian gave me. It gave me more tools mm, to work right. with. Like if I just played running back, I would have been just one dimensional right. player. But by playing nose guard, linebacker, I was I played kicker. Um, all those things gave me these different right. tools that really helped me as a running back way down the road. I remember looking up your your high school stats, right? Because I'm big San Diego oh, high yeah. school sports guy and. All my kids What'd played you sports and yours were all <laughs> over the place. I mean, it was like you were like the Swiss army knife, but it reminds me of the phrase that you went where you were celebrated, not where you were tolerated. And that when you moved to that environment right. where you were celebrated by the coaches and the teachers and all of a sudden, you know, here you are in your grades, you go from the kid that's guaranteed to flunk doing summer school, passing the grades going and, and, and here you are, you know, you're graduating. And Lincoln High School has got a pretty rich history of some very, very talented people and some guys in the Hall of Fame right alongside you. And so what a great place that was for you to, to blossom and grow. Talk about this next step along the journey. Because you played nose guard and kicker and so on and so forth, and the world we live in today, everybody's being recruited from the eighth or ninth grade on. You were kind of lost during that season in your life. So you didn't have a line of... Division one scholarships out the door, coaches offering to buy your mama a new house, you know, none of that stuff going on. You ended up in a place that's better known for baseball. You went to Long Beach State. Yeah. Not exactly a big name program, but yet you went there and, and again, you had a chance to see what you could do. So you just said that I didn't go places where they were, you know, offering to, to buy my mom a car. Yeah. So I had to go to a place where I had to actually pay to go to school. <laughs> so I had to pay to go to school. That's how bad it was. I had to walk on to Long Beach State. And so it was really the opposite of what most kids who have accomplished, you know, eventually what I accomplished didn't have to deal with. So, yeah, I go to Long Beach State. But there's another story to that as to why I went to Long Beach State as I chose it was because, number one, I have a brother uh, who has a different last name than me. His last name is Webb. And he was already at Long Beach State. And so the seed was already planted um, where he planted the seed with the coaches staff and told them that there was a kid in San Diego who they should go look at. And they told he told them, them my name. And so they didn't they they never connected the two. Terrell Davis, Reggie Webb, that just doesn't, you know, you wouldn't know, you would you wouldn't know. Um uh, that was number one reason why I chose Long, Long Beach State eventually. Number two reason was that uh, George Allen. And I, I didn't know I didn't know a lot about George Allen, to be honest with you. I knew, he, you know, I heard his name before. But when I did some deep digging on it and, you know, you kind of see the press clippings that come out and talks about his resume. That was really impressive to me. Washington Redskins, L.A. Rams. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was he was a Hall of Fame coach. And um, so so that this made, was kind of his retirement job. He's kind of yeah. he's dialing it back a little bit. And he was going to do this for a couple of years and. He 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 lands at Long Beach State, and so do you. Yeah, exactly. And then it was close to home. I mean, it was it was the closest. It was close, but not. It was close enough to where if I needed to get home, I can get home in a few hours. But far enough to where I had some independence. You know, I, I had I felt like that I can go and grow as a young man. 
uh, in Long Beach State. So that's why that's why I kind of chose Long Beach State. Again, I walked on and and I, and there was a, there was a, an agreement that if I came in and played well and and really showed um, you know potential, then there would be an, a scholarship offer um, that could come my way. And so that was that was intriguing to me. And you played on the scout team, and the scout team basically plays the opposition. So whatever team you're playing, you play that. And the starters beat on the scout team mercilessly <laughs> like their life depends on it, like they're their worst enemy. So here you are. You're walking on. You're paying to go to school. And you're playing yeah. the scout team, which is the place which is kind of the least regarded spots on the team. Fair? Fair. So, yeah, like you talk about, if we're playing whatever, UCLA, then the scout team, we, we put on the same numbers as the, the UCLA team. Uh, on offense, you know, if there's a running back that's number 33, I'll put number 33 on. So I'm kind of emulating that running back. And typically the scout team gives the defense what they call a good look, which means that you're playing harder. You're playing good so that you give it the same comparison to the team they're going to face on that, you know, that Saturday or Friday or whatever it is. And that was it. And so by doing that, George Allen, he took great pride in his defense and he wanted the offense a scout team to give the defense the best look possible. That was, he was, he really took pride in, in, in preparing his defense for that, that game. Well, I was a running back as a scout team. So when I was in there, I was running a hundred miles a minute and I was doing everything so fast and so hard that George Allen loved it. He fell in love with me and he loved that type of, you know, effort. The defense didn't like it too much because they had to, they had to keep doing the plays over. And if yep. they didn't do it right, they kept repeating the play over and over again. Yep. I didn't like it too much because to your point, they already know we already ran the play and <laughs> I gashed them for 10, 10 yards. And then they say, well, run the same play again. Well, uh, they already know where I'm going. Right. And they're embarrassed <laughs> and ticked off. And they're embarrassed. And they're going to yeah. make you pay. So now they're beating me up in practice. And, but that was, yeah, that was scout team. And that's, that's how. But you had a coach who, you had a Hall of Fame coach with credentials who saw something in you. And that we all need a good coach, right? He saw something in you and he was pleased. He saw you as a future scholarship athlete. Is that right? Yeah, he did. It, 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 yeah, because that was the first time that I had anybody ever um, especially a pro coach, um, kind of give me the compliments. He, he, he complimented me uh, quite a bit, but he also gave me a nickname. He gave me the nickname Secretariat. <laughs> and that was my name to George Allen. And he, I, after a while, I didn't, I didn't even think, as a matter of fact, I don't even know if he even said my name ever. He's always called me Secretariat. <laughs> Secretariat, you, you go in there, you're doing a good job. I was like, oh, well, yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing. Well, he's the greatest horse of all time. It. So, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have someone who believes you. But, again, you know, lots of twists and turns. So we played. So the, um, the next year I, I played, uh, I only played five games. I severely sprained both of my ankles in training camp, came back, played a couple of games, sprained my ankle again, and I missed the rest of the season. So my, my resume was was pretty pretty short but the end of that year we went two and nine or two and eight and um just shortly after the season was over all of the players coaches got a call that there was an emergency meeting being held at our facility we didn't have a facility it was at the the uh, ath the athletic complex i guess that was shared with all the student body people so it was just like a yep. you know our, our lockers were regular you know student lockers right um yeah, so we had the meeting, and uh, you know, the news came in that uh, they're they're dropping a football program, budget cuts. They didn't have enough money to support the program, and football wasn't holding its weight. It wasn't bringing any revenue in, and uh, so that was the news that day. And it, it uh, imagine that I'm like, man, what is like? I'm I mean, blow up the blow. I'm getting hit in the gut. Like, what's going on here? Right. You know, I had worked my way up and eventually earned a scholarship too at Long Beach, and now there's no more football. Where am I, what am I going to do? I mean, it's almost, you know, it's the bad news bears here, right? You're making this up as a movie. It's like, oh, come on. You know, you finally earn a scholarship. You injure both ankles. You play five games. You fight through, fight through, and now the program's gone. I mean, there are very few times in the history yeah. of Division One athletics that somebody just flat out cancels a program. So this is like an extremely rare situation. And uh, now, so the coach dying, loses all the impetus. All the money's gone. The resources are gone. And now the school says we can't sustain this. So uh, yeah. I love the story we've talked about before. You're back in your room and you get a phone call uh, from the unlikeliest of sources when you're you think you're you're done. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So after the meeting, we, we're all scrambling to figure out where are we going? Because you have two choices, really. You can stay at Long Beach State and they will honor the honor your scholarship and you could just be a student. Or you can find another program that you can go to transfer and you won't lose any eligibility. So that you have the two, two, two things. That's it. So for the younger guys, you know, we're looking for other schools. We're all writing letters. We're sending our highlight tapes to other schools and just trying to say, hey, you know, can I can I come play for you? And I was getting zero responses. I was getting just zero, you know, love. I, I mean, I was calling like, you know, the 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 Fullertons and like I mean, like the, <laughs> you know, Hawaii at that time they weren't really good. Um, so I reached out to them. I called New Mexico. I called Utah State. Um, you know, again, it was Pacific. Um, it was all these, all, yeah, all these smaller schools just trying to figure out if, if I can go there. So that, my options were pretty limited there, Brian. But one day I come back to my room and I see my old tape recorder with the little red light blinking on it. You know, typical day, check the messages, see what's going on. This day I get in the room, my roommate is in there and I checked him. I checked my message messages and I get to one message where this guy. He's like, hey, this is uh, Bob Pitter. Uh, I'm a recruiter for the University of Georgia. Um, Tyrell, if you, <laughs> when you get this, can you call me back? Because, uh, we, we want to bring you out on a visit. And, uh, so, I, so I'm listening to this, this, <laughs> this recording. And so as I'm listening to it, I'm like, wait a minute. It was, did he say just say Georgia? And my roommate heard it. And he was like, did he just say Georgia too? I was like, no, let's play this again. That's something not right. So I play it again. And sure enough, he says University of Georgia. And I am just floored, man. That like George, I'm confused right. more than anything. Like, how are you, you calling Bone Beach? You calling me? This is the place that had Herschel Walker, the most famous college running back of all time, basically. Herschel Walker, Tim Worley, Rodney yeah. Hampson. I mean, they had all these great backs and they're yeah. calling me. Yeah, so I, 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 after I heard the message, I called him back. And sure enough, it was Bob Pittert, the recruiter from Georgia. And he said, Hey, listen, you know, we, um, we, he, he said that he wants to bring me out to Georgia and that he told me to bring some tape. And if they like what they see, then they can possibly give me a scholarship. And that that all everything he said to me was was great. The only problem was my I didn't have that much tape. Five I, games. I only had five <laughs> games. <laughs> so it was like I was coming out there with you know twelve hundred yards rushing and you know twenty touchdowns. I had a very limited tape. My highlight tape was about thirty <laughs> seconds, man. I mean it was, <laughs> it was about, of 30 seconds of so like how, like I didn't feel yeah. confident. I, you know I didn't feel that that was going to be great. But I, I, but I took the trip. Yeah, I went out there, man. <laughs> and then what? What happens when you get to Georgia? Oh man, Georgia. Yeah, when I got there, it was now. Now, now, mind you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a California right. kid. I'm from San Diego, and it's just culturally it was just totally mm-hmm. different than what I was used to growing up. Uh, I get to Georgia, and everything is just it's it's totally different, you know, from the you know the the culture there. Um, I married a girl from Georgia. I know the story. Yeah, you know it, man. You know it. And so I'm just I'm just trying to take everything in and process what I'm seeing um, and just trying to figure out this whole thing. Because to me, it, it, it almost felt like so surreal that it just didn't feel. I mean, think about all my whole life. I'm, I'm in California. This is the first time that I'm ever outside of the state. I mean, for especially moving to a place like I never lived in any other place. I have no friends. I, I know nobody in Georgia, not one person. So it's not like I can I can you know call a buddy up and say hey man you and I we gonna grow together here and we can no none of that so we'll get there go to the whole little trip and uh, I mean I'm I'm blown away I'm blown away by what I see at the facility the stadium the practice facility all the the gear they get everything the classes the campus it's beautiful I mean it's a gorgeous campus uh, there's you know I mean, it's 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 Georgia man like it's <laughs> I just came from Long Beach State. And, and so I'm dreaming as I'm walking through this campus, uh, how cool it would be to go here, but I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to get a scholarship or not. Uh, so we, it's two days of recruiting visits and we do all this stuff. We have, uh, have a ball. I mean, one of the best times I've had, we go to parties and stuff. I, I meet some people there as I'm on, on my recruiting visit 
and start to, you know, gain some friends um, doing that recruiting visit, which was really fun and cool. So as I'm about to leave, we're about to take me back to the airport in a little van. And some of the recruits get on the van. We're heading to the airport and they pull me off. They say to Davis, get off. They pull me off and I get off and they say, um, they say, hey, we want to we want to offer you a scholarship. And man, that that was uh, that was one of the coolest days of my life, man. For that Georgia wants to wow. give me a scholarship, and of course, yeah, I, I didn't think long. I, I, yeah. I didn't overthink this one. I was like, <laughs> where, man, do I I'm sorry. where do I sign? Where do I sign? Where do I sign, bro? So you take care of business. You go to Georgia. Now here you go from you're going from the minor leagues to the major leagues. It's SEC football. It's it's Athens, yeah. Georgia. It's a gorgeous campus. There's I don't know eighty ninety thousand people in the stands. All that stuff. Yeah. So from this point on, the music should be rising. Everything's good. We've had the dark. We've had the early days of Shawshank Redemption. Now here it comes. Yeah. We're well on our way. But uh, not everything was a was a, a bowl of peaches there in Georgia, was it? No, it was not. It's the Peach State, but it was not a bowl <laughs> of peaches there, Brian. It was not. Um, no, a lot a lot happened uh, when I went to Georgia. Um, you know, the first year I was there was was pretty cool. I'll go, I'll take you kind of year by year. I was backing up a guy named Garrison Hurst. I'd actually worked my way in. When I got there, they they put me seventh on the depth chart. That means six players are ahead of me for playing time. And when I worked my way up from there, I, you know, when the season started or we went to training camp, I eventually went to sixth, fifth, fourth, you know, third, and then I ended up becoming the second back behind Garrison. So that was, I mean, it was, that was pretty, that was pretty phenomenal for me to go from that. Sure. And he was a phenomenal running back. Really good. Yeah. Oh my God. My God. I, there, was, there was no chance I was going to beat him out, but I ended yep. up be, you know, being his backup. So my sophomore year there, you know, Georgia, we were, we were 10 and two national, basically fighting for a national title, uh, lost our two games by a combined five points, but that was, that was really cool. So that, that year was great. I would come in when Garrison would finish the games off he'd have 150 yards. We blown the team out. I come in and play, get my little runs or spare him when he's tired. And it was, it was it, Brian, it was, it was the perfect scenario. Like I, I didn't have a lot of pressure. You know, I was, I, I didn't have to deliver every, every Saturday. I could just go play the game and be good. However, when Garrison graduated or he went to the pros, that's when it all came down. You know, now my junior year, I am the projected starter of the Georgia Bulldogs. We are, I'm getting national attention or at least regional attention with the, the magazine covers. They have these little Avalon magazines. They have sporting news magazines. They have, you know, in the region. And I start to see my picture, if not on a cover, you, when you open up the Georgia page, you see my big picture in these these prints. And it started the, the gravity of it started to hit me as I'm going through uh, the off season and preparing for the season and even up into tra- you know training camp. And man, I just I don't know. I just I just I, I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like the feeling that people were counting on me. All those expectations went up. Yeah. You had a covering before and that coverings removed and you're just exposed. You're supposed to be the guy. Everyone expects you to be the guy, and you're going to pick right up where Garrison left off. And so that's the way it's all supposed to be. Yep. And uh, it didn't quite work that way. You know, we we get into our our first game of that year. Um, we were not – that year we were not – we started off rough. You know, the first game I had a decent game, but we lost. And we ended up losing our first four games of that year. And so imagine, you know – Nothing's really changed offensively, except they changed running back. We we lost a fifteen hundred yard, sixteen hundred yard rusher. I mean, one of the best backs in the country, and I'm supposed to go in there and fill that void, and it just it did not happen, man. And so, imagine I, you know, it was it was a it was a colossal collapse mentally. I wasn't prepared for it. I was always going into a game thinking, how can I just be good enough so that I can get people off my back? But I don't want to be real good because now I have to. I got to live up to that expectation. I got to live up to those numbers every single week. And that was challenging, man, to, to, do, to, to put up numbers like that every single week. And that is such a huge point you just made. And I think so many people live their life where they're, they want to be just good enough to keep their job or maintain their performance. But if I become that much better, I become above the radar. Oh, you know, maybe I alienate some people. Maybe people think I, you know, family members, friends, you know, in your case, it's, it's the whole state is is elevated. And so 
you, you said something there, which is I, I just try to be just good enough. And the problem is that's almost an impossible target to hit. I mean, it's easy to be really bad. And if you're focused, yeah. you could be really good. <laughs> but being just good enough to not make ripples, that is almost impossible. It, it, it's impossible. And, and really what, what it leads to is ultimate failure. Like there's no way you can just be good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to duck and hide from expectations was really what it was. It's, it's people looking at you saying, oh, okay, we, we, we're going to count on you now every week to go out there and make plays. And I, you know, I, I, just, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. I just, I choked. Like I just didn't that, <laughs> whatever it was. I was not mentally prepared for that. Mm-hmm. No one gave me a script on this is what's going to happen when you go to Georgia and you see all these, these fans and you become the, you know, the starting running back. That was, that's not what they, they, <laughs> when I signed yeah. that scholarship, that's not what right. I was told. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared for that one. But those expectations. And I think, you know, sometimes, and you know, I've interviewed many people and it's always, you know, in a story like yours, it's a story of perseverance, fighting through circumstance, circumstance, circumstance. You had a boatload of circumstances. And then all of a sudden, when the circumstances are wide open, now all of a sudden, and you're one of the few pro athletes or high achievers in any capacity who said, when the opportunity presented itself, I didn't walk through the door. And I choked. I failed. I didn't do it. Everything was there for me. The, the, it was wide open. And so that happened. Now, let's talk about it. What were the consequences of that? Obviously, the coaching staff start getting, you know, they start getting heat on them. The administration, SEC football is one of the biggest businesses in the country. A lot of heat had to start coming down on you at that stage. It, it it did. And, you know, we have whether it's the student newspaper or whether it's the local you know press, whether it's our coaching staff, whether it's just fans or, you know, teammates. I felt a lot. I mean, I, I felt like I hit rock bottom and and I didn't I had no no other place to go. But up, I mean, I had I already hit rock bottom. So that kind of changed. That was my junior year where my junior year was was horrible. So during the offseason, um, you know, I was I had a, I thought about contemplating. All right, I need to come into the training camp my senior year and really just. Did you ever think about quitting? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I didn't even have to quit. I'd already I, I was already mentally mm-hmm. right. out of it. I had mentally right. quit. Physically, I was going to games and playing, but I I wasn't mentally into that stuff. I was just going yeah. through the motions. Um, so to my senior, year, I, I I thought about it a little bit, and I was like, hey, you know. I'm gonna try to play a little harder this my senior year and see what happens. But again, I was just thinking that, but I never acted on mm. it. And something happened in training camp. I lost my cousin, mm. my real good. I mean, it's almost my my brother. Basically, he grew up with me. He was shot and killed mm. in San Diego. And it really, again, I had another blow where I had to leave. I get a two a.m. call, and he comes in, um, and I hear that you know what happened. And again, that crushes me. But then after that, it kind of it kind of gave me a little inspiration again, kind of refocused me that I needed I need to have this season for him. Um, so I, I admit I was like, I'm going to have a season for him. So get in training camp and, and, and Brian, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little things better, not great, but better. Like I'm I'm working out harder. I'm trying to you know study the playbook a more. Um, I'm giving a little bit more energy and effort. And that was where I was kind of headed. Unfortunately, in training camp, I ended up tearing my hamstring or at least pulling it. And once I did that, that was kind of the the beginning of the end because my coach and I at the time, we didn't have a great relationship. And he kept pushing me. He kept pushing me to to stay on the field. And I knew I had to stay on the field because if I'm not on the field, you know, I can't I can't perform. And so I the, the hamstring got stressed for weeks in, in training camp and eventually the first game of the year when we started that game man um it didn't I end up t- I end up straining again then the second game I tore it and I missed a bunch of games my senior year. And so here it is, you know, you've kind of quit, you've done this, you have a close family member die, gives you perspective, you renew your commitment, you go all in, yeah. you get a tweak. The coach now who's kind of still focused on what you didn't do the year before and he thinks you need more of a push. He's pushing you. You get injured. I always remember the story you told me when you're sitting up in the stands watching the game against Vanderbilt, and I think that's one of the most relatable, loneliest thing I've ever heard. That you know, you eventually got to the point where not only were you kind of no longer the starting running back, but you you had to watch a game from the stands. 
Yeah, so we're talking about uh, pivotal moments. Uh, this this is the moment that I look back on, and it changed my life. We we'd already played. I'm gonna set the the, the scene for you. We'd already played. Um, well, the, probably eleven seven games, and I'm rehabbing my hamstring during this period of time. And during one of the weeks, really all weeks, I, if I go to the game at the time, the coaches didn't want didn't want me on the sideline, so they made me sit in the stands. And we were we we're playing Vanderbilt. I'm up in uh, it, uh, up in the it, not only like a few rows up, but I'm like way up. I'm in the nosebleeds, watching my team play on the field. And as I'm watching the game, I'm just I'm asking. I'm kind of looking at it, and I recognize that. Listen, like no one knows whether you're giving it your all or whether you are hurt or what, because it's, it's a different perspective from being up there. But I just asked myself the question. I was like, you know, I, we only have four more games left. And if I'm able to come back this week, that's I have four games left in my entire career. That's it. I have no more games after this. And I had to reflect and say, you know, did I did I give this game everything I had? You know, would I be proud if my career ended today? Would my dad be proud? You know, and I started just asking these questions in my head. Was I showing up early, leaving late? Just all these things, Brian. If they were just going through my head, and I just, I mean, it, it, it dawned on me that I didn't, that, that I was not giving it, and that I was thinking too much about other people's opinion mm-hmm. about me, and doing things based on what other people think of you is mm-hmm. dangerous. Thinking about you is super dangerous, and it's, it's, it crushes dreams, mm-hmm. man. So I, 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 I kind of made a. A commitment that day after after watching that game and being up there, I said, if if when I if and when I'm able to come back and play, I am going to go back to that kid, Terrell Davis, Boss Hog from Valencia Park, Pop mm-hmm. Warner, who just played football because he loved playing mm-hmm. football. I don't care about what the fans think. I don't care about what teammates think in terms of like, you know, being criticized. I don't care. I'm going to be, be my coaches. I don't care. I'm going to have fun and give this game. I'm going to lay everything I got on the line, everything. And my only goal was when the season ends, I want to walk off the field and have somebody say, hey, like, you know, tell me something about your career, your your college career. And, you know, and do you have any regrets? And I I just want to be able to say and know it and know it's coming deep from inside that I have no regrets. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I want to just be able to, to say that. And Brian, that's what I did when I got back. I got back that week. When we resumed practice that week, I came back and it was a different person. It was a guy that I hadn't seen since since Pop Warner. Free from the the thoughts of what other people think. And that was really, you know, giving all that energy was really what closed in your world on you. And, you know, as a young man, you know, you had the revelation as a 14 or 15 year old, you know, when you wanted to turn it around. And here you are. People still forget this. We go cheer college football. You're 20, 21, 22-year-old kids on the field, okay? And we forget that because we think they're in uniforms that look like pros. And as a young man, you had the cognition to have up defining moment in the stands. Here it is. Make my dad proud. No regrets. And so you went after it. Tell us what happened those last four games. Yeah, and sometimes, Brian, it's you, 2021, you're talking about you have 18-year-olds yeah, right. out there sometimes, 18, 19-year-olds. Right. I mean, these are young. These are, these are kids. Yeah. So when, I, so when I get back that week, I'm in practice, and I'm having a hell of a break. I mean, I'm, I am – when I get back, first of all, when I get back, I'm no longer the, the running back. I am a fullback because a guy that was filling in for me as I was injured, a guy named um, Heinz Ward, may have heard of him. <laughs> Wide receiver uh, for the Steelers. Wide, yeah, he is the starting running back. And he played really well during that stretch. Yeah. They wanted to put their best two backs in. Um, so they they changed my position to fullback. That didn't even matter to me. I didn't care. I'm playing fullback, so I'm blocking, I'm catching. I don't even I'm just playing the game and I'm loving it, having a great time. Um, so that's doing the that doing our first team reps with the offense. Well, again, I am now, since I'm the second string back. Running back, I am on scout team again. So it takes me right back to Long Beach State. It takes me back to me being on scout team. And I am just giving our defense the business again. And I'm having, but I'm doing things differently this time. For example, the the very, con, uh, you know, cautious runner I was when I cared, 
if the play was meant to go left and there was no hole there, I would just run it up the left anyway. I would just I would put my head down and try to plow forward, pick up a yard or two. Don't get criticized by the coach then. Can't, yeah, you, you can't. How, what are you going to say? I'm like, there's, there's no hole there. So what I started doing in practice is when they would give me the ball, if it was meant to go left and it was no hole there, I would stop, reverse field, and go right. And they had never seen me do that before. And it, it started to open up some eyes. And our defense, again, hated it because they had to replay the, the play again. And I did that for two weeks. And for two weeks, and even in the regular games, I was, I, I was, I had so much fun, man, doing, mm-hmm. doing those two weeks that I, I, I didn't care if my career ended after those two weeks. I was great. So after practice on week, going to our, our, our second to the last game of the year, before we hit the practice, my running backs coach brings me into his meeting and he calls me and he says, Hey, we've been watching you the last couple of weeks and we really like what we've seen out of you. Like you've, you really have like, you know, turn the corner. You've been out there. You're a great teammate. You have great attitude. You've been playing extremely hard. We're going to make you the starter at, at halfback against Auburn. So Auburn was on a two year win streak that they were, they hadn't lost a game in two years. And so we were playing them and they told me that I was going to be the starter of that game as running back. And instead of shying from that, Brian, it was the first time I remember being really happy. Like, okay, it's showtime. I had never, I had never, I ain't done that. I, that that was never my mentality, you know. At least as an adult, as a kid, you know, you just you go out there and play. But as an adult and having a conscious awareness about that, it was showtime, man. I was going to show the world. I was going to go out there and just put on a show, and I did that. I went and so before the night before our game, had a real good week in practice. The night before the game, the coaches speak. We had our team meeting. After the head coach spoke, I ran to the front of the room and told everybody to sit down that I had something to say to them. I don't know what I, I don't know what I, I, I this was yeah. not planned. I didn't I didn't think about it. I just I just want to let them know if they gave me the ball that I'm going to get them 100 yards. And I promise you, we're going to beat we're going to beat Auburn. You know, and that was in so many sure. words. I mean, I'm yeah. paraphrasing it, but it was so many words in, in what I told them. But it was unlike me to ever speak in front of the, the uh, you mm-hmm. know, the team. Um, and so then so then that that next day I had to, I had again, I, I, I put it out there. So I had to live up to mm-hmm. what I told them. So now you, instead of other people's pressure, you created your own pressure for yourself, which is a totally different dynamic. But it, but it held me accountable. I think, I think what it does, it, it, it put me in a situation where I had to be accountable to mm-hmm. what I just said to them. And Brian, I, I did not bat an eye. I did not, when I went on that field, I did not think about, oh, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now, now you have to live up to it. I went out there, man. And as a player, most people who played the game know that the way you dress in your uniform speaks volumes as to kind of your, your mentality. And we had this rule in Georgia that you had to have your socks pulled up. You had to have, you know, everything had to be neat. And I went wrong. I did everything the opposite. I, I had low cut socks, man. I put my, pulled my knee pad up <laughs> over my knees. I mean, I, I, I did all kinds of stuff. I had my, my chest showing, my, my, my belly showing. Like I did all this stuff and I was like, I was just having fun, but I was yeah. being me again, and that felt so good. And and Brian, the last two games, I had two of the best games we played, Auburn and then mm-hmm. Georgia Tech. Those were the best two games that I had, complete games that I've had in mm-hmm. my college career, and they happened the last two games of, of it. And I was good. I set out to make to do that, to walk off yeah. the field and say, I have no regrets. It's that I yeah, and that was man, that was that was great. And you left it out the field, and you learned so much, which is other people's perspective, getting your own motivation, your own accountability, and that here's the next step, right? And so people are like, okay, you know, we're running short on time here, but where in the heck does this Hall of Fame career come from? <laughs> you know, you you were not the guy because yeah. of your college career was you know five games in Long Beach State, and you had two really good games for Georgia, uh, the first round draft choices that are behind the curtain coming out and having their agents with the $3,000 suit on, that, that didn't exactly happen for you, but you did, you did get drafted in the NFL in yeah. a later round. Is that right? Yeah, sixth round. Six, yeah, sixth round draft pick. is not, not much to share with that. You know, you, you go... You, you and Tom Brady. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Me, Tom Brady, and uh, I think Antonio Brown might be a sixth rounder. There's some, good, there's some yeah. decent sixth rounders, but it's not, it's, not a, it's not a round that you typically find talent to to make a difference on your roster that's that's normally not where you're going to find you know you don't go looking for guys who are going to be pillars in your your organization right. no not in the sixth right. round 
and you're in the Denver Broncos, and they have a bunch of guys in front of you just like they did in Georgia. Yeah, here we go again. Georgia, Long Beach State. I mean, I'm here I go fighting myself, find myself again coming in pretty far down on the depth chart, not on any special teams whatsoever in terms of like the uh, the depth charts of our special teams. And that was that was um that was where I was. And when I got to when I got to when I got to the to Denver, short story, I got to Denver during minicamp. Uh they fly you out, you do minicamp stuff. Mm-hmm. And now remember that I'm coming off kind of this, you know, my my this different mentality about the way I feel about myself now. So we go to minicamp yeah. and 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 I'm I'm kind of sizing up the players again and you know, looking at what we have to do with the offense and just looking at the whole pro the whole pro game. And when I got back on the plane to go back to Georgia, I remember sitting there and I was thinking about this. I was like, I'm going to start for the Broncos. Like I, I already knew it. I knew it. And, and, and it wasn't so much based off what the other people could do. I just knew what I could do. And I knew that nobody was going to outwork me, that I had all of these skills. Remember I said I played nose guard. Remember I played, told you I played linebacker. Yeah. And I I had leaned on all of that stuff. I was I was a fullback, you know, in high school, fullback in college, and those things on that level were re- especially in that offense that we were running. They were really really important to have, and none of the guys really could do that. You know, none no, none of the guys had the same blocking and running ability that I had, but I also felt like nobody could outwork me, and that was really important. So I felt like I could do it. But you're seventh on the depth chart. Yeah. You're not getting any reps. No. You're not getting any love. No. You're not on special teams. No. And pretty short into this, you realize, oh, hang on, the writing's on the wall here. I'm going to get cut. You know, that's one of the things about NFL training camps. You know, they're making cuts all the time and cutting guys by the dozen. Yeah. And it looks like you're not going to get a chance to play. In the preseason games, basically everybody gets a chance to play. And you didn't. Guys that are not going to make the roster get to play in preseason games. Yeah. And I know the story. I've watched it on video, but I'd love if you could share in short order with an audience the trip to Japan, a defining moment that changed your life, changed the Denver Broncos franchise forever, when you're basically not going to get to play, even though you know in your heart you're good. You know you could do it. You know you could be the starter, but they don't believe that. They don't think that, and then you're not even getting a chance. Not getting a chance. And you talked about it. You know, I, I had confidence going into training camp, but but I was every every day that I'm not getting to play, um, I got discouraged. Mm-hmm. And this it wasn't like a week, it wasn't like a week and a half. I mean, you're talking about these were weeks mm-hmm. of 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 going out there, running hard, doing all the stuff they're asking you to do. Um, but you're not you're not getting any real reps. You're just sitting on the sideline watching the team practice, and then you have this practice after the practice. So long 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 story short is. You talk about our, our preseason game that we had. We had two of them. One was in Denver, and then we have our second one, which is in Tokyo, Japan. So I go from you know not getting any reps in that game, or at least in training camp, uh, didn't play in the first game. And so now I'm really discouraged. This week of practice, we're practicing against the 49ers. Uh, we have a we have a what they call a dual practice. And it's it's we're missing some guys. Guys are hurt, guys are dehydrated, guys are left back uh, back in the States. So we go from probably having like eight, nine running backs to three. And so I go from not having all, any reps to getting all the reps. And I'm and I'm having one of the worst week of practices ever. So I'm blowing assignments. I'm not I'm not I'm doing everything just horrible. Um, so that's for the entire week, not just one day. Most of them because we're practicing against the other team and they're killing me and I'm messing up assignments. I'm dropping balls. I'm doing everything bad, Brian. So about that fr- Friday or it was Saturday. I, I realized I'm not going to make the team. I've already I've already sealed my fate anyway with a bad practice. They were going to cut me anyway, so I wanted to get out of there. I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm going to catch me a flight back to the United States. I'm at the hotel. I call down to the operator, and I'm trying to f- get a flight out of there. And my Japanese wasn't great. My Japanese <laughs> wasn't great, man. So we, we we're just not on the same page with what's happening there. And I realized about five minutes after that uh this is not going to happen so when i get back i'm a, i'm a, i'm just going to you know hang in there i'll go go back and play in this game or at least go to the game and then once we get back to denver i'm going back to georgia mm-hmm. you know I, I can go work for coca cola down there i got yeah. some you know some people that i know relationships that i'll i'll go work on whatever but i'm going back to georgia and that was my plan man that was a plan and then the next day we have our game 
And normally you go to a game and it's preseason. So you have, you know, first team plays, second team plays, whatever. And then they get down. But, you know, normally if I'm going to a game, I'm going to dress everything. I'm going to put my, my, you know, tape my, my ankles, get my mouthpiece. I'm ready. You know, game ready. This game, bro, I'm not playing. So I, I just kind of go through the motion. Just dr- I just kind of dress. To go, to go sit on the side. Performance uniform. <laughs> That's it. Just go, just, just, just dress. Present. <laughs> Present. Then about halfway through the third quarter, I surprisingly get, well, let me go back. So at halftime, you know, I'm, I'm starving, man. I don't eat before a game. I, I'm starving. And so the starters and the second team and third team guys, they're on the sideline and they're in street clothes. They're, they're, they're dressed down, no shoulder pads and they're eating food. And that food looks so good. I'm like, oh my God, I'm starving. I'm not going to play anyway. So I just join them, man. Listen, they get, give me some hot dogs, man. Give me some nachos. So I eat, I'm eating a bunch of hot dogs, man. <laughs> and, and halfway through the third quarter, I hear my name kind of being shouted by a coach. And he's not calling my name, he's calling my number 30, 30. And so when the other team hears that, or teammates hear it, they start saying 30, 30, 30, 30. Anyway, long story short, he comes to me and he says 30. He says, uh, we have kickoff right now. He says, are you ready to go in? Uh, no, I ain't ready to go in. You know, shoot. I'm not, I, I, I wasn't even on special teams. So my, my mind is saying, yeah, you know, my mind is saying, my stomach's saying no, my mind's saying yeah. And I was like, all right. So I go in and Rod Smith and everybody's helping me line up to where, where I need to be, um, close to the kicker. And at that moment, I started thinking about this. Like, this is the moment. Like, this is it. I'm in a game. I'm familiar with running out on kicks. I used to do it in high school. And so our kicker comes down, see, toe hits ball, and ball goes in the air. And I just go back to that guy who used to run out on kicks and make tackles. I used to kick the ball and then go make the tackle. So you are mentally not in it. You're eating hot dogs. You think you're not going to make it. Hot dogs. But all of a sudden, here no. comes a chance. And I realized that quickly, that this is my chance to make an impression. Mm. And I'm the first one down. Mm. I run down. I'm the first one down there, and I make a... Really, really big tackle. It's textbook. Uh, the tackle. And the tackle was huge. I blow the guy up and we celebrate, yeah. you know, some of the guys that I play with. And that was the play, man. That was it. I go to the sideline and my teammates are, are just all on me, hit me over the head. I'm finally, I'm finally being noticed by my team. Uh, I then go throw up on the sideline because I have this hot dog that's coming up through my nose and in my mouth. Um, so I throw that up. <laughs> And as my, and my coach sees me, a running backs coach sees me. Yep. And he comes over there, he runs over to ask me if I was okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. So I'm wiping all the hot dogs, not all of my face and stuff. And he's like, because you're going in on offense when we get the ball. <laughs> and I'm like, uh oh. But again, I, I'm not going to turn it down. So he sits down with me. We're on our knees on the turf in the Tokyo Dome. And he's got pens. He's got like, you know, paper clips. And we're just like designing plays. And he's making sure that I know my assignment. When I go back in there, because these are the plays that they're, that they're going to call. And that was it. I go in, Brian. I have you know a couple of carries, maybe eight or so carries, 40-something yards rushing. And that is what they say is uh, the rest is history, man. That was, that was, my, that was my, uh, my opening, you know. The most inauspicious start, you know, for the most successful running back in the history of a franchise and one of the most successful running backs in the history of the NFL. Yeah. The dynamic is you never know how life's going to turn out. You never know what the twists and turns are. It's always darkest before the dawn. You know, many times you thought, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to come for me. Yeah. And you go on and you win two Super Bowls and play with the legendary John Elway. And they said, John Elway, I mean, and I know you can't say this, but many people have said John Elway never gets a ring if he doesn't have Terrell Davis as a running back. You run for 2,000 yards, a feat that very few running backs in the history of the league have ever accomplished in the 70 years that game's been played. You go on to have a career that leads you all the way to winning the Super Bowl back in your hometown of San Diego with your family and friends in the stands and then running all the way to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. We haven't spent a ton of time, and your Bronco fans are probably screaming at me listening to this interview today because there's so much could be done. You know, there is a lot of record in regards to your career in Denver and lots of ups and downs and ins and outs and migraine headaches and things like that. But the story that you have to offer is the series of defining moments that came along. The reason I love your story so much, Terrell, is because your story is not one of, oh, supreme athletic ability that everything shone out, the doors opened up, culture opened up, and everything was just laid out for you. And then again, even the most supreme athletes always have difficulties and setbacks and challenges and and injuries. But yours is one series of challenges after another, and then 
a series of defining moments from your dad passing away to having a barrel of a gun at your head to having your program cut in Long Beach to sitting in the stands at a Vanderbilt and Georgia game up in the stands with four games left to ultimately realizing you personally gave so much over to other people's thoughts, opinions, and views, coaches, players, fans, that you shrunk down and were just trying to be just good enough not to get in trouble, not to get noticed, just keep me above the radar, and come through all of that. And with a hot dog in your mouth, you make the biggest play of your life. And if anyone ever go to YouTube and watch that play, I mean, that Tyrone, you should buy Tyrone a car because... Yeah, Tyrone Drakeford. (laughs) Tyrone went about six feet in the air when you hit him that day. And it's one of the most remarkable plays I've ever seen, but it got you noticed when you had your chance, you took it, you laid it on the line, and it was a defining moment. And I think your story, Terrell, is so powerful because I think a lot of people can relate to it. Setbacks, failures, and also when given the opportunity, not stepping up to bat. And I just think in God's good time, and we always seem to get another opportunity, we all, and we never know when it's coming. And even when we think we have it all figured out, this is how this is supposed to go. None of this went the way it was supposed to go. And now here you are today as a Hall of Fame football player asked to give your opinions. We're on here today. You're going to start doing a lot more public speaking, and we're excited to help you do a lot of that and get the ball rolling in that and share this message of how everybody has defining moments. Everybody has this fear of success. Everybody has these opportunities. Everybody needs a coach. Everyone needs someone to believe in. But when the time comes, we got to put the hot dog down and, and do what we can. So... I really think it's a phenomenal story, and I hope that people are really encouraged by this and look at their own life in light of your journey and see where there's defining moments in themselves. You know, we've had all kinds of people on this program, from athletes to actors to huge business people and politicians, and we always have five little questions we ask at the end, which gives a little different slice of life, and I'm just going to go through these real quick with you if I can. So here we go. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given, Terrell? Oh, wow. So many single, single best advices. It's probably be true to the game and the game will be true to you. And that's, that came from Frank White. That's, mm. that's, that's a Frank White ism right there, you know? And, uh, yeah. That's great. Still with you after all these years, you know? All these Those years. Those high yes. school coaches can really make a difference. Yeah. Uh, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Speed. <laughs> you had power. You needed speed, right? I need a speed, man. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I've always wanted to have, know what it felt like to just break through a line of scrimmage and just be able to know you're going to outrun anybody who's chasing you. Yeah. I, I've done that a few times, but I labored trying to do that. But yeah. I'd, I'd love to be like, you know, Deion Sanders speed. That would yeah. be, that would be pretty cool to have. Yeah. Well, the speed guys want power and the power guys want speed. That's the way it always works. Uh, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, wow. I haven't picked up a book in a while. Probably probably just the Bible. I mean. There you go. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. Okay, movie time. What's the one movie you're flicking through the channels, and every time it's on, you stop? What's the one, oh, what's the one movie God. you watch over and over again? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. That is, that, Shawshank Redemption is the one I don't... <laughs> If I'm flipping through, I see that. Stop. We've done 300 of these, and that is that is number one. And I oh, is it? You know, it is, and it's. I think it's because everybody, like you, look at your story. Mm-hmm. Everyone can relate to this guy's story and the setbacks and the how it didn't go right and didn't go right. And at the end, we all want to get to say Wantaneo. And that's kind of my last question for you, as far as say Wantaneo. What what does a good life look like to you today? What is when I say the good life? What does the good life mean to you? The good life you, it, today, it, it's about uh, helping other people achieve their their goals and dreams and really try to help develop young men and women. And that, that became clear to me the last couple of years. I've, I've already, you know, I've, I've had success and it's been great. But I think what really resonates and, and allows me to to have a deeper joy is the feeling I get that when somebody comes up to me and say, hey, man, you know, thank you for doing this. You know, even even something that I didn't intentionally do, like play football, and they say, "Man, you changed my life, and now you inspire me to do X." That feeling, that Brian, that is that's the one. You, know, you can help young people accomplish things that they didn't think they can accomplish. You know, whether it's coaching or whether it's just mentoring, whether it's just volunteering to do things. That's that's a great feeling right there. 
That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And that is uh, a life lived in the service to others is a life yeah. well lived. So there you go. Well done. Well, my friend, it's been fun to get to know you. We've become pals and, and had a lot of time to hang out together. I think your story is phenomenal. I think the best is yet to come with it. And I'm excited to see you share your story with many, many millions of people in the years to come. And I think a lot of people will be able to understand their defining moments, lay it all on the line, and head for their own version of the Hall of Fame. So I appreciate you being on the show today. As we finish up here today, I'm going to finish up with my Hall of Famer, my Coach White, if you will, and it's my mother, Therese Buffini, who always finishes the show with a little Irish blessing. I hope you enjoyed today's program. Give us some feedback. Send us on your comments. We'll pass them on to Terrell. And uh, with that said, we'll throw it over to Therese Buffini herself. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.